scorenorth.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Score North Live. You know, both of those guys do a great job. You know, Adam's been coaching for 14 years in the NFL, and Andre has been with me most of my career. I just felt like, you know, if we could combine uh, those guys and still have them coach the same positions that they coach because, you know, the positions players that they had have all played really well. So I just feel like if the way we've got it set up now, uh, I thought it would be the best of both worlds. Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer, this is Score North Live on 1500scorenorth.com and the Score North app. Rami Makloff in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Matthew Collar, my co-host for Hour One. Declan Goff on the other side of the glass. Derek Wetmore joins us from Twin Spring Training. Coming up at 1 o'clock, plenty of uh, obviously Twins talk coming up at that time. But also Trevor Bauer is the hero baseball needs but just doesn't deserve. We'll get into that with Derek coming up in the 1 o'clock hour. Later this hour, we got to get to this Knicks thing because that is the most Knicks thing in the history of Knicks history. That's later this hour, though. But you heard Mike Zimmer there talking about how things will work on the defensive side of the football with co-coordinators now and a shakeup of his staff, Gary Kubiak, is the uh, offensive coordinator stepping up into the role Kevin Stefanski once filled. And I was reading one Matthew Collar's article about familiar faces. How different will the Vikings coaching staff be in 2020? You can read that at scorenorth.com and the Score North app. And that article, along with an article you wrote probably about a week, 10 days ago for scorenorth.com, the Score North app about how wide open the NFC is right now, along with a statistic I came across that the Vikings, 49ers, and Saints are the only three teams to finish in the top 10 in offensive and defensive efficiency, and an article from NFL.com or the NFL.com QB index reigning Kirk Cousins as the number eight quarterback in the league I've been I've been working under the assumption or the judgment Matthew since the Vikings season ended that they're pretty far away from being real Super Bowl contenders after reading all this stuff I don't my question questions I should say is how much can they change or improve this offseason and just how much do they need to change or improve this offseason to legitimately be in the Super Bowl conversation because when you put all those factors together that I'm talking about, A, there doesn't seem to be a lot of room for change when you look at the salary cap, the coaching decisions that they made, but also they might not need as much change or improvement as I've been thinking for the last few weeks since watching them get it handed to them in San Francisco. So the premise is that the NFC is wide open and they still have a very strong roster with Mm -hmm. a quarterback who's coming off of his best year and a defense that may lose some pieces but also might see some upgrades, let's say the cornerback position, if Xavier Rhodes is not here and someone else is, uh, your odds are pretty good that you'll get a better performance out of that position. I think you can talk yourself into it for sure, and my gosh, they have a great 1994 coaching staff right now. (laughs) (laughs) Unreal. If if it was 94 and you had Dom Capers on DC and you had Gary Kubiak on offense. Remember those Dom Capers? You brought up Greg Lloyd the other day on the show, and I got shivers. That was one of my favorite favorite dudes to watch on the football field, but also one of my favorite dudes to use in like Madden or whatever video game was hot at the time. Those Dom Capers Steelers defenses, man, with Lloyd on one side and Kevin Green on the other 
just scary, just scary and mean and effective, like everything you want out of a defense. I think it's great that uh, you know, LeVon Kirkland weighed 280, and he was a middle linebacker. <laughs> like that, I forgot about that LeVon Kirkland. defensive tackle right now. I mean, right? Uh, yeah, Joel Steed. Do you remember? And, you know, they had all those guys. Do you remember? I think it was, I want to say it was Michael Westbrook, the wide receiver for the Washington Redskins, who... Yeah. who Greg Lloyd thought he said something about his mother on the football field and, like, basically threatened to kill him. He was like, if I ever see this dude... And Michael Westbrook went and found reporters and was like, man, I just want to let Greg know and everybody know I would never say anything like that about his mom. I have so much respect for Greg Lloyd as a football player. He wanted none of that smoke, dude. Nobody wanted any of the Greg Lloyd smoke. Uh, The best part about Greg Lloyd was his face mask. They used to have those thick face masks. Yep. <laughs> he just you you just as soon as you say his name, you see the image of the thick face mask, the number ninety five, his pads kind of hanging out from under his jersey. Yep. Like you used to be able to see players' pads all the time. Now I don't even think they wear pads like, for the most part. Pads in the eighties and nineties were so gigantic. Like in the seventies, they barely existed, and those guys uh, had really tough times after their careers. And then in the eighties and nineties, they went way they over got the ridiculously top. Ridiculously big, <laughs> right? Herschel Walker pads are some of the funniest ones of all time. It's like you can't hear out of his ear hole because his you know his shoulder pads are going up over it. You also had an 18 inch neck roll and coming that, out of those the, coming out of those shoulder the pads. The best as always. I know you're right. a neck roll guy. And they were wearing all sorts of different things hanging off of them. And then you know you had like the linebackers with the backboard, like the Brian Cox thing that would go halfway up his head for whatever reason. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, I guess to circle back to where we started because we could talk about this. All day, like Cordell Stewart, the you know the slash and all that sort of stuff, and and the great Steelers defenses, and then Carolina was relevant in part because of their defense mm-hmm. with Dom Capers. Um, I, I guess it, it depends on which lens you'd like to look through last season. Like, do you look through last season and say they had a really good season? They can build on this. Ten wins is good. Kirk played really well. They got the right offensive system for him. They still have a lot of great pieces on defense. And when it's a bad year and people are upset and you finished fifth in points, then that you know says something about the amount of talent and the expectations you set for yourself. Here's where I have trouble getting there. Last year, the schedule was easy for the Vikings. It was set up on a silver platter for them to go 13-3. and And they end up playing as the sixth seed instead of you know, having a first round buy. And if they had had a first round buy, I would have picked them to go to the Super Bowl. It's just such a huge difference maker. And playing at U.S. Bank Stadium is really, really tough. You you add the fact that they had so much talent and the right offensive system and all that to that. And I would have said, yeah, absolutely. They would have a, a very high shot at going to the Super Bowl. But when you look what happened against a lot of easy teams, they crushed them they crushed you know washington and oakland and 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 the new york giants but anytime things got hairy they lost for the most part except for in new orleans they went a coin flip and they almost let that game go too they almost blew a lead in that yep. game and then they went a coin flip and kirk makes a couple great throws and you win but against green bay in week 16 you completely fall apart against seattle you've got a chance to go win the game you do not come up with a win there uh, in Kansas City against Matt Moore, thank you, Matt Moore, for giving Kansas City home field advantage in the in the playoffs there. But you know he he ends up beating the Vikings. 
when push came to shove, they were on the ground for the most part. And they had so many games last year against teams that were horrendous and that they should have steamrolled. Don't they get the AFC and NFC South next year, though? I'm going to have to check. Okay. I'll have to check their opponents. I think they do, right, because they're playing in Tampa Bay. Uh, Which, yeah, I mean, so they could have an easy schedule next year. It's possible. But when I look this up, Pro Football Reference does a strength of schedule metric. It was the ninth easiest schedule in franchise history Hmm. for the Vikings. They were also the healthiest team in the entire NFL. And those two things right there from year to year are hard to repeat. So I think you have to be better next year than you were this year to get even the same results. And that might be a tough ask considering where they're at with the salary cap. And a tough ask because in order to get better, you often have to change things or at least tweak things. And when you give the guy the offensive coordinator job, who a lot of us were working under the understanding that he basically was the offensive coordinator last year, at least the architect of the offense, even if he wasn't calling plays on game days, he had a large hand, maybe did the majority of building and putting together that playbook that they were working under next year. And when you have effectively the same defensive coordinator in Mike Zimmer, I do like that Mike Zimmer doesn't let his ego get in the way. You just talked about you have two guys now with a tr- a, an extensive track record as coaches in this league, and you don't bring in guys like that to be yes-men. You bring them in for their ideas so that they can add to what you're doing and, and supplement what you're doing, not just come in and tell you, yeah, what you're doing is perfect and great, and I don't have anything to really add to this. So I'm assuming he's bringing those guys in to to help move this thing forward, but how much can you change when Mike Zimmer is still running the defense and Gary Kubiak is still effectively running the offense. How much can they change things on both sides of the ball when that's essentially the case? And you don't have a lot of wiggle room financially or in terms of assets to make trades to change a lot of personnel that you're going to put out there on the field. Right. So the only people who can be super bold as compared to last year would be those in the front office. And the options are numerous, but also not easy. So there are players you can trade. There are draft options to move up to get a quarterback, potentially. There's all sorts of things you could do. Um, You can create a decent amount of cap space, but you have to let a lot of talent go out the door. It's not just Xavier Rhodes. Trey Waynes is an average corner in the NFL. I think that's that's the part that a lot of people miss in that equation. They're like, go get a bunch of players and, and, and shake this thing up. But the thing that you don't realize is that if you let Everson Griffin go to free up that money... Right. You just lost Everson Griffin. Like, right. You, know, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I don't know how people miss that part of the equation, but that's that's pretty damn good production that you now have to replace. Yeah, it's cool to have that money and you can spend it elsewhere, but really, honestly, the best we're talking about them doing is keeping your own guys that they want to keep. They have the best safety on the free agent market this year yep. and, and Anthony Harris. If you cut Everson Griffin to save that money or you cut Xavier Rose to save that money, it's probably going to a guy... Like Anthony Harris, there there aren't there isn't a lot of room for outside candidates to come in here and give you an upgrade or shake things up. Right. So the front office has, I think, two options. They can either be very very shrewd, so you can try to re-sign Anthony Harris to a contract that maybe pushes his cap number down the street a little bit, like they did with Anthony Barr. Anthony Barr's contract is an interesting one because last year's cap hit was only five point six million which for what they got out of them, very reasonable. This year it's over 12, and next year it's over 15. And this team has been kicking the ball down the road with a lot of these guys for a long time now, and eventually that bill shows up at your door. But they're always trying to work it 
so they can reduce cap hits early on and then figure it out later. And with Anthony Harris, they could do that. Uh, they could try to find a way to get him under a decent contract, which you know a lot of these guys have signed. They could, you know, bring back Trey Wayne, same sort of deal. They could try to get Everson Griffin to take a pay pay cut. You know, they could try to sort of manipulate the cap as much as they possibly can to make it all work to bring back the same team. Or they could get super bold and say, sorry, Anthony Harris, we believe Harrison Smith makes everybody better, so we're going to bring somebody else in for that position. We think that we can have rotational pass rushers who come up with eight sacks. Sorry, Everson Griffin, we love you, bye. We think that you can find a really fat guy somewhere else. Sorry, Linval Joseph, we're not paying $12 million for a nose tackle. I mean, this is one of the things that Bill Belichick has been very clever with. I mean, with they don't have to years. be mean and just say big fat guys to him, do they? I mean, I think it's a compliment, when right? When they hand if, him his walking papers, if like you're 360, though, you're like, like yeah, we're going to go and we're going to go in a different direction. That fat guy. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate all you've done for <laughs> That's us. That's really what no tackle is. I mean, Gilbert Brown, Ted Washington, uh, New England when they won the Super Bowl, lat yeah, whatever it was, two years ago, last mm-hmm. year. Um, they had a guy named Danny Shelton, just like big fat guy. Yeah. And that's what he does. His role was to be a big fat guy who stuffs the middle and it's important in the defense, but does it deserve $12 million? If you're not a pass rusher, probably not. My favorite and, and, and maybe one of the best fat guy combos in the middle of a defensive line was Ted Washington and Keith tractor trailer for mm. those lovey Smith bears. So like, those two were no together. Blo- no blockers were getting. Maybe I think so. Yeah, yeah, but no blockers were getting to Brian Urlacher. How like about- they were just eating up, literally eating up any and all blockers who came into their lanes. The uh, late '90s Bills had Ted Washington and Pat Williams, which were two nose tackles <laughs> in the middle playing at the same time, and the the combined weight easily cleared 700 pounds in the middle. Um, but you know, I mean, that position is just not of incredible value for someone who's stuffing the run and filling up gaps. When Linval Joseph is at his best, oh, he was worth it for sure. 2017, that man was dominant. He was stuffing the run. He was getting after the passer. He was creating pressures. But that sort of faded, and there's some injuries that have happened. He's still an above-average player, but he's not a $12 million player. And you might have to move on from him. And that's what I mean by being shrewd. Is sort of like cut some of the fat a little bit to make it work, but mostly keep what you have. Maybe you restructure with him. Maybe you get a left guard who's along the lines of Josh Klein last year. He's the fourth or fifth best guard on the market. You don't have to pay him that much. That's one route. If you really believe that last year's team was a Super Bowl team, you take that route and you try to bring back as much of the pieces as you possibly can. I think that would be a really tough sell for Vikings fans that this was it. Like that that was the team that really should have been in the Super Bowl because we saw how they matched up against really good teams and for the most part it just didn't come out and it was not all Kirk Cousins' fault. I mean some of it certainly was, but not all of it. I don't think they were as strong of a team as somebody like San Francisco from top to bottom and if you don't have a quarterback who's going to make up the difference, you're not going to end up with a 13 and 3 record or end up in the Super Bowl. The other direction is to make huge moves, to move on from Anthony Harris, to move on from Everson Griffin, to move on from Linval Joseph, to clear all this cap space, and then look at the free agent market, look at the trade market. Who can you bring in? Draft a quarterback. Start thinking about 2021 to some extent. Like There's a bunch of different ways they could go. You could try to even sign every free agent who's out there, like Chris Harris or Byron Jones, cornerbacks who are game changers, and, and try to restock 
for 2020 and in the last year of Kirk Cousins with a bunch of really expensive guys. I mean, there's there's lots of different ways that they could go. The status quo option is certainly the one that would get the biggest really out of the fans, I think. (laughs) And I would have a tough time being sold that that's a great way to go. See, that's and that that's what I was thinking until, like I said, I started putting together all these little tidbits of information and articles and opinions for, from people who I think are probably more football savvy than I am. I was where you were a couple of weeks ago and thinking that the status quo not changing things either from from a game plan standpoint or preferably from a personnel and even coaching standpoint. I mean, I've been sitting here saying the window has probably closed on the Mike Zimmer era, but then I started analyzing it and putting all these pieces together and, and thinking maybe they're not as far away. Maybe, maybe we, and the NFL, I warn against this, but then fall into the trap myself is the ultimate overreaction league. We have one game a week to make our judgments and, and base our opinions on. And we have six days to either strengthen or argue against those opinions and, and convince ourselves otherwise. I fall into the trap myself, and I started wondering if maybe because of the way that that San Francisco game played out, I I had I had an inaccurate picture in my mind of where they were in terms of relative to the 49ers and relative to the Kansas City Chiefs, who ultimately went on to win the Super Bowl. That might have just been one game where the 49ers had their A game, the Vikings probably had their C or their D game, and the results played out to what the results were. And I think now I'm starting to move towards maybe the status quo isn't that terrible of an idea. You make improvements where you can. That's that's what any NFL franchise does. You don't even if you just won a Super Bowl, you're trying to to plug holes or improve spots on your roster that you might have seen as weaknesses. I still think that they they definitely need to do that. But drastic change, I think calling for drastic change these last few weeks since that 49ers game was played, maybe an overreaction on my part after warning people week after week throughout the NFL season, hey, don't fall into the overreaction trap of the NFL. So let me put it this way to you. What would you say is the floor if they bring it all back for the most part? Let's just say Harris is back and Waynes is back. They just find a way. Mm -hmm. Joseph, Griffin, it's the same guys that you've always known, and they add a number three receiver in the draft. Maybe that works. Maybe it doesn't. They change a left guard. He's a little better. Let's just say, and then You're saying marginal improvements, plugging yeah, holes, yep. filling, status quo as far right. as game planning, coaching, filling the obvious places, and bringing back as much as you can. Moving on from Xavier Rhodes, but filling that spot with Mike Hughes. What is the floor of that team? What's the worst that could be in 2020? Without knowing their schedule off the top of my head, I'm going to say nine wins, eight wins is the absolute floor, and that's I mean that's 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 the difference between a successful season and maybe a not so successful season. Eight or nine wins. That's like. That's the breaking point. So I guess I'm sort of sitting on the fence in terms of that answer. But I do. I think their floor, not knowing their schedule, is probably eight or nine wins. Okay, I totally agree with you. Okay. Now, what's their ceiling? 11 or 12? Depending if, on the schedule? If a lot of things go right, even more than went right this year. And I think this year a lot of things went right. You, The games that you lost, you earned every bit of those. There was no bad luck. I mean, there was, you threw a horrendous interception in the back of the end zone against Green Bay. You earned that. You got down 21 points to them right off the bat. 
you earned the loss in Kansas City because their backup quarterback was starting and you couldn't beat them. You earned the loss in Seattle because you had the ball with a chance to win and you didn't drive down and win. And then you just get whooped against the Green Bay Packers. Like the losses that they had were not fluky. They weren't random. They weren't weird. They were earned losses by one team just outplaying them and being the better team. Uh, not just on that day, but probably for the most part, the better team. Chicago was the only team that you'd say, well, okay, it didn't work out for them. Mm-hmm. But still, the defense had shut down the Vikings every time that they've played Kirk Cousins uh, since he came here. So it was an, another earned uh, loss. So if next year you're trying to factor the luck element you would probably say there's going to be less luck, which makes me think 11 wins is probably the ceiling because this year it could have been 11 if the starters had played on the last day. Then they're probably 11 and 5 instead of 10 and 6. If all the things go right again, if you're not injured very much, you, you lost Adam Thielen and that was pretty much it. The whole rest of the roster, offense and defense, was pretty much completely healthy throughout the entire season. The, the least injured team in the NFL. You're probably not going to be that again, but let's say that you are. Let's say everything comes back and all the luck plays out. Well, then we're probably talking about an 11-win season. If your ceiling is 11 wins, you'd have a hard time convincing me that that makes you a Super Bowl team simply because 11 wins usually doesn't get you a first-round buy. Right. It might get you a division championship or maybe that top wild-card spot, but you're it's it's... It's tough going as far as getting a home, even one home game in the playoffs if you only have 11 wins. Right. And the thing with the San Francisco game is they were a stronger overall team top to bottom. And maybe Kyle Shanahan outcoached Mike Zimmer on that day. I don't know. Um, But what they really were was a completely rested team who didn't have to fly anywhere, as opposed to the Minnesota Vikings, who ran something like 75 plays in New Orleans in order to win that game. And and it was a very physical game, and everybody got beat up and everything else. And then you had to come right back, get right back to practice, fly all the way out there, and remember, play on a Saturday as well. Mm -hmm. It's just such a massive disadvantage that if you are the same as the team you're facing, which the Vikings weren't, they were worse than San Francisco, um, probably by a decent margin. San Francisco beat a lot of good teams. So they were worse than San Francisco, but even if they were on the same plane, you're way worse than them Ultimately, because of what you've gone through. This is what, this is what I'm trying to get to. Let's, let's, let's say San Francisco is the bar that's been set for the NFC. So on a scale of 1 to 10, San Francisco is a 10. Yeah. Where are the Vikings? Well. 7, 8? Yeah, probably 7. Probably like 70% of that team. I mean, and then the schedule thing is a huge deal because from year to year, for you're sure. only playing 16 games. So you go up and down the San Francisco schedule and look who they they lost to Seattle in overtime where their kicker missed the kick because he was their backup kicker. Mm-hmm. They lost one. Uh, they killed the Packers. They played a three-point game on the road with the Ravens in the rain. They beat the Saints 48-46. to They beat the Rams. They beat the Seahawks to, to get that first-round bye. I mean, they had to play a much tougher schedule and had much better quality of wins than the Vikings did and still ended up with better numbers and all those things. So they... In my mind, we're a much better team than the Vikings. So you go into next year, we didn't really see San Francisco coming exactly like this to be a 13-3 team. There will be somebody else that we don't see coming either who's going to be the hot team that year. I, the Vikings were that in 2017. They had their shot, and they missed it. And with this group, it's just hard to see them getting back to another 13-3 year because that's when Everson Griffin and Laval Joseph and Xavier Rhodes and all those guys are playing at their absolute best. 
And even Diggs and Thielen have like their best years that year, and uh, everything fell into place. Rodgers got hurt mysteriously. It was this totally random injury that I don't remember. Um, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Is like every year there's somebody in the NFC because nobody has Mahomes. So there's always somebody that pops up and is really, really good. And unless you think you're going to be that team next year, which is kind of a tough sell, then I would say you have to make big changes to make yourself that team. I had another question yesterday while reading your article at scorenorth.com and the Score North app about what... How free was it? Very. Very, very free. And it's off of this quote. Uh, it's uh, Adam Zimmer, who says, I think it's a collaborative effort. We're going to be in there. Dre and I are going to make this transition as smooth as possible. We'll work together on game plans. I know Coach Zimmer will be involved in a lot of them. Does Adam Zimmer call his dad Coach Zimmer? Yes. I've never worked with my dad, and I don't know what workplace decorum is when you work with your parents. I just feel like, let's say I worked in an office with my dad. He's not a coach. I don't know that I'd call him Mr. Macloff. (laughs) 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 That seems weird to me to walk into my dad's office and be like, "Uh, Mr. Macloff, what do you want me to do with these TPS reports? Like, Wouldn't you just call him dad or pops? I I call my dad pops. Wouldn't you just call him dad or pops or whatever in the workplace? I think in sports, if you went up to a podium and called him dad, then you'd be like, is that unprofessional? Okay, that's a little weird. Yeah, I, I think, don't even I think know. it's a little, a little weird. It'd be a little strange. I think it's weird either way. Yeah, I don't. I think this is a lose lose. I don't know. I don't yeah. think. I don't think there's a way to not sound weird. Yeah. Calling your dad Coach Zimmer makes it sound like you don't really know your dad. Not if <laughs> like, like the relationship that you had growing up was coach player, coach and assistant. I did, that that threw me off when I read that. Not, not if everybody calls him Coach Zimmer, which they all do. So like all the assistants when they ever talk, they say. Coach or Coach Zimmer referring to Mike. So, which I get, but I think everybody be, knows would, that's his son. It would probably sound like he's an adult. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what do you call your dad? Like Forty. I mean, if you still call him dad, if, right? I, if I was working in a company with my dad where we had to talk to the media for some reason, <laughs> I mean, like. Probably behind the scenes, he's like, uh, Dad, I noticed that the 49ers are doing this motion. He probably talks that way behind the scenes. But if it was in a professional manner, I would probably okay, not. Okay, let's, let's take, the, me- take the media component out of it, all right? Let's say you work in an office, your dad's the boss, you're, you work under him, but there are people who report to you, right? Yeah. Do you go, like, do you go to Kathy at her desk and be like, Kathy, uh... Mr. Collar wants to see you, or do you go to her and be like, hey, my dad wants to talk to you? Yeah, probably behind the scenes. I mean, this is a that. family business. We probably should just ask the higher-ups what they do here. That's true. Yeah, the Hubbards still run this business. We can totally Broadcasting. Ask <laughs> they haven't sold it off to a major corporation. We do have a family yeah, running can, this business. We, can, we should totally get them on. Can you run upstairs? I'll go, the break I'll go talk to Wheeler. And yeah. see how I'll they go handle things? Morris I don't know. Like I here. said, either way, I think that comes off weird. Your son calling hmm. you Coach Zimmer? Weird. Your son at the podium calling you Dad? Still weird. I don't know that there's a way to not come yeah. off weird here. I think he would want to, at the podium, just sort of fall in line with the rest of the coaches who are all saying, you know, thanks to Coach Zimmer for this opportunity. I don't know. Threw me off. I mean, when he I was did that. acknowledge that they're related in the press conference, <laughs> saying, you know, he did say something to the effect of, like, my dad wouldn't give this to me unless he felt I was ready. Okay. And Adam Zimmer, and I know that there's this element of nepotism in football. Um, but you know, Kyle Shanahan was just in the Super Bowl and his dad won Super Bowls. So sorry, Kyle, you can't have that because your dad was also good at this. It's always a weird thing when people get upset about it. 
Um, you know, because Adam Zimmer started out as, as an assistant linebackers coach, the most glorious of all positions. Uh, and then, you know, has worked his way up to get this. So we got to get to a break. D'Angelo Russell makes his Timberwolves debut tonight. And how badly did Garrison Rosas need this? Also, I don't appreciate Nick Friedel stealing our thunder, Matthew Collar, right after this. It's Score North Live on 1500 Score North. Hey, Score North listeners. It's Phil Mackey here for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, which is here to give business owners that peace of mind that you need when you've built a company with your blood, your sweat, your tears, maybe not your blood, but whatever, like you built a company and you want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover if needed, recover smoothly so you can get on with running your business. Federated has a century of experience in helping business owners. You can find out more about the industries Federated protects at their website, federatedinsurance.com. And remember, Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect you.